Well, happy Father's Day to the fathers today. It's interesting. I know everybody's like, oh, uh, It's interesting because, you know, uh, I want you to know that the second most celebrated holiday is Mother's Day. Second most celebrated holiday. See the excitement there? That was more excitement than the Father's Day. The first actually is Christmas. Christmas is number one celebrated holiday. Mother's Day is number two. Father's Day is 20th on the list. 20th. 20th. I'm not lisping. I'm saying 20th. Okay. And yet we know that, that it is a very difficult time. Father's Day is very difficult. Some of you know my story. Uh, I have a few fathers in my life. So as some of you may or may not know, there's eight marriages between my biological parents. So I grew up with a stepfather, a biological father that were pretty broken people. And so for me, Father's Day was one of those things I just was like, I don't even know what to do. Because I couldn't find a card that said, thank you for abusing me and kicking me out of the house at 17. God bless you. I hope you have a great day. Happy Father's Day. Sorry, Dad, that you're a crack addict and a homeless man. I, happy Father's Day. I, I, I didn't go fishing. I didn't have those experiences. So honestly, Father's Day was a very difficult time for me. And yet, I bet Father's Day can be very difficult for some of you. In fact, they say it's one of the most difficult holidays that people celebrate because of sometimes even just in relationship, there's somewhat maybe a distance or a broken relationship. And so for me, I had to learn to become a good son to bad fathers. And it's difficult. I had to forgive over and over and over. And I wanted to be resentful. I wanted to be angry. But I knew that that was only going to be what I would bring into my own life and I would pass that down to my own children. Because if you don't deal with your stuff... You give it to your children. And I didn't want, I wanted to break the cycle and say no more is this going to happen. And I'm thankful that I've been married for 30 years to my wife Kim and have a beautiful daughter Janelle. I watched her on this service just a little while ago where she led worship. She's a worship pastor down in the States. So I already was with her this morning. She texted me, happy Father's Day, Dad. And I was excited about that. My son hasn't texted me yet. I'm not sure what's happening there. But uh, maybe he's dealing with me right now. He's good. We're good. My son, Jared's 24. And, and so, but it's a difficult time. Uh, Father's Day can be difficult. But one of the things I also want to say to you is that we have a Heavenly Father. And sometimes we forget that. For me, that's been my saving grace. I have a heavenly father, and he will never abandon me. He's always there for me. He's been a good, good father. Amen? And so we have that Father's Day. And I don't know what it is for you right now. Maybe you have an estranged relationship with your father, but today I want you to know that you have a heavenly father that loves you with an everlasting love. I love the idea that we can say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 
Sometimes we forget about the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> we forget about the Lord's Prayer and simply saying, Father, thank you. And maybe you can't say thank you to your earthly father, but you can say thank you to your heavenly father who loves you and has many wonderful promises for you and has the gift of salvation and the gift of eternity for you today. Amen? So today I want you to know that the scriptures I want to talk about um, is really about uh, talking about who we are. I want you to see yourself as this pot. I asked James this morning and last night if you could give me some pot and I, I meant like a pot, not like pot, you know. <laughs> so he came with some leaves. I didn't know what to do with them and then we sold them and made some offerings. So no, just kidding. We didn't do that. That would be wrong. That's wrong. I'm a pastor. Okay. Okay. But let, let me read this for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. Uh, hopefully I gave these verses about eight minutes ago to the PowerPoint team, whatever. So hopefully we have them. Oh. Just saw my bald spot. That's not good. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, oh, I also want to say, I, well, yesterday I was with the team, and I, one, my love language is gifts. And so I'm here on Father's Day, and it's the one time or the third time in my life that I get gifts from my family. I'm not able to get here because of my love language. And so I want to say thank you to Darcy and Amy uh, Bell for they gave me a gift yesterday and, and gave me father socks. So I got my father socks on right here. Grill master. Warm for them. There you go. My kids will probably give me a tie or something. I don't wear them, but at least I can wear socks. Okay, so thank you, Darcy and Amy, for blessing me and making me feel like I'm right at home at Father's Day. Keep your gifts at minimum as I walk out the door. As you know, it's my love language. Okay, okay, all right, no. All right, so here, listen, I want you to see this. I want you to see that as I read this verse, I want you to visualize yourself like this pot. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. I, I often wonder, we spend so much time on making sure our pot looks really nice and presentable. And we want to make sure it looks nice. We lose weight. We try to go on diets. We want to make sure that this body, this temple, this uh, vehicle that we're in right now looks presentable. And so, uh, and yet in this generation, they're always tatting up their pot. And I'm going to put some tattoos here and tattoos here. And look, I'm going to put some tattoos here. And I feel sorry for the young generation that when they get in their 60s and go, I don't even know why I did that. But they are promoting tattoo removal now. So there is a solution. But um, I'm not here to beat up anybody that has that tattoo, James and Maria. But I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, we, oh. Did I say that out loud? Okay, so when we, 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 we do everything to decorate our pot and we want to make it look nice and presentable. Some of you women, you put on nice makeup and you presented yourself. And we're, 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 sometimes we're so focused on the outer part of who we are that we forget about who we are on the inside. And what we are actually called to do and carry a treasure, carry the treasure of who God is inside of us. 
Sometimes we want to, we practice behavior modification. As long as our pot looks good and presentable, I'm good and presentable. Yet ignoring what's happening on the inside. Remember, the Lord said, it's not what's on the outside, it's what's in the inside. And so many times in our life, we can feel empty on the inside. But if we look good on the outside, we feel like, I guess I'm okay because I look okay. Amen? But we're just fragile. Everyone in this room, whether you believe it or not, you're, you're fragile. You're in a place where you're so fragile and life is crazy. And there's times that our life feels like, oh no. Like, what's, what is happening? And our life has ups and downs. And we, we are constantly feeling like life is bringing all these things in our life. And we're going, oh, my, it, it, we feel so fragile. Our emotions, our soul, all these things, the hurts. And, and it feels like our life is going up and down. And, and when we go through these situations, there are times that we feel like, oh, God, I don't want to be dropped. I'm so fragile. But then there's sometimes in life, things just go out of completely control, and it breaks. And then we say, this is what I feel like. My life feels like it's just broken. My marriage is broken. My heart is broken. One of the greatest things that I have experienced that grieved my heart the most, I did both funerals for my stepfather and my biological father. And to watch somebody pass away with a broken heart and broken dreams and a broken life, knowing that all they've been, all through their brokenness, without even trying to, they just broke other people's lives because of their brokenness. You see, broken parents break children. Broken people break people. Broken hearts move into a place where they break other people's hearts. And here, here are the pieces of some people's lives. They, they feel like they're just pieces. And you look at your life and you go, how? How, how do I put this together again? What, what, what do I do? God, I, I, I can't make this fit. I don't know where the pieces go anymore. How can I carry you in my life when my life feels like it's just a bunch of broken pieces? There are so many people that live in this broken world with a broken heart and a broken life with broken dreams. And going, God, how can, I, how can I carry the treasure inside of me when this is what my life feels like? How? How, how can I move forward when I feel like my marriage is, is broken? How do I fix this? The pieces are scattered all over. What do I do, God? And then there's times that you feel like you're just getting to the point where you're putting it together. And as you're putting it together, it... It drops again, and you're going, it just continues to happen. It doesn't matter how hard I try to put my life together. It just seems like something happens, and it just gets broken all over again. So you say, I'm just going to give up. 
God, if you're up there, I don't know what to do. And we have to come to this place where we simply say this, God, can you put me back together? Do you believe that he can put you back together? Is God able? You have to ask the question, is Jesus able? Is Jesus able? Let me read this to you. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. It reads this way. After Jesus left the girl's home, two blind men followed along behind him. I don't know how they were following behind him. They were blind, but he must have been talking, but they followed, okay? It's always a little bit of mystery there for me. Um, But they followed along behind him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on us. They went right into the house where he was staying. Wow. I mean, these people, they were blind, but they're like, we know Jesus has the answer. And Jesus asked them, do you believe I can make you see? Do you believe that I can make you see? Do you believe that I can open up your eyes that you can see? Do you believe that I can actually put you back together? Do you believe I'm able? Come on. And they said, yes, Lord, they told him, we do. Then he touched their eyes and said, because of your faith, it will happen. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. I love that. Then their eyes were opened and they could see. Jesus sternly warned them. I love this part too. Jesus sternly warned them, don't tell anyone about this. But instead, they went out and spread his fame all over the region. I mean, can you imagine just getting healed? You're blind, and uh, you're walking around, and you're like, oh, there's something there. Oh, how do you know you're blind? Oh, I can't tell you the story right now. Let me just keep that in my little heart. (laughs) I can't tell you yet. Um, But maybe in the future, I'll tell you I was blind, but now I can see. Oh, I'm still blind. I can't tell you even that. (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, if you were blind and you got healed and you can see now, you're like, I can see, I can see. You're going to shout that to the rooftops, amen? When you've experienced, I remember getting radically saved. And when I got saved, I was telling everybody. If somebody said, keep this a secret, I'm like, I can't keep this a secret. I'm going to tell everyone. When you experience something from God, you want to let everybody know he's real. He's able. I was blind, and now I can see. I was broken, but now I'm restored. Amen? Amen? Come on, somebody shout. Are we in a church today, or are we having a funeral? Okay, come on. Well, I'm telling you, right now we have to realize that there's a few principles here that we can glean from here. Number one, These men pursued Jesus. They couldn't even see Jesus. They could stand and go, I can't really see him. I'm blind. I can't. Like, what am I supposed to do? Pursue him. It says that they followed him. Oh, I just stepped on somebody. They're broken. Okay, so so, (laughs) let's put that over there. Uh, These people, these men were blind, but it didn't stop them from trying to pursue Jesus. There's, There's a principle in this. Listen to this. Whatever you pursue begins to pursue you. 
If you pursue your career, your hobbies, all those things, whatever you pursue, they begin to pursue you. Whatever you pursue, you become passionate about it. When you pursue greed, greed pursues you. When you pursue lust, lust pursues you. One of the, the things that I do just about every morning as I get up and I say, Jesus, I desire, I, I am choosing to pursue you today. Not this, not that, not that, you. I am choosing to pursue you. Whatever you pursue begins to pursue you. You pursue God, God pursues you. Pursue his presence, his presence begins to pursue you. Now, I've been married for 30 years to my wife, Kim. And we had a one year where we were in Bible college together down in Dallas, Texas. And we were like, we should just get married. We, you know, we're going to Bible school. I'm getting ready to graduate. Let's just get married. But her parents said no. Jesus helped them. And so... <laughs> they didn't like my background and where I came from. So they said, we need some time. And so my wife moved back to Canada while I was down in Dallas. And so for two years, we had a, two more years. So for two years out of three years of our relationship was long distance. Now, I want you to know something. We didn't have FaceTime or Facebook or all these social media things. We had a telephone. And we were lucky if you didn't have the roadie one. Some of you are like, what is he doing right now? That's called a telephone when I grew up. <laughs> and we had him on a wall. <laughs> and you couldn't take it off the wall. It was stuck in the wall. And you pick it up and you had to only go so far. And when you're a teenager, you're like, I can't go any further. It's like, okay, so anyway, so anyway. Um, and then when your parents were mad about you, get off the phone, they just grab the cord and go, you're done. <laughs> now, I grew up in a house with there's nine in our house nine in our house so I mean it was like a little bit you get on the phone and get this um, where I grew up when I first was growing up we shared the phone with three or four families in the area come on you can't even imagine that you get on the phone you're like are you about done gossiping about the Joneses because I have a serious phone call to make now hang up some of you know what I'm talking about don't you the younger generation's going yeah See, now you feel good because when you talk about Facebook and Instagram and tweeting, all the generations are like, what are you talking about, birds or something? And the younger generation like, I know what you're talking about. Now the younger generation doesn't know what we're talking about. Now listen to this. In that generation, we would, my wife and I, we would pursue each other. We, this is going to be weird, we wrote letters to each other. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And we, not emails, no, no, no. Not texts, didn't have that. We actually wrote letters. It took four or five days. In fact, by the time the letter would get to Canada, because it's international, it could be a completely different thing. But we got crazy. We got crazy. My wife is going to get mad that I did this. I'm saying this. But when you're pursuing, you do crazy things. You just, I mean, you pursue. You do, we would chew gum. Oh, yeah. Chew gum. Put it in some saran wrap. Put it in an envelope. Write a letter, you go send it. And then my wife, come on, I'm not done yet. My wife would give me the, she'd call my number and let it ring just one time because an international phone call back then was crazy expensive. So she'd call and let it ring once and hang up. And then she'd call a little bit later, like about maybe two minutes later, call again and hang, let it ring, hang up. That means right now I'm ready, I got your gum, I'm about to put it in my mouth. She'd unwrap that, put it in her mouth, and she's like, 
Now, some of you are going, oh, that's gross. What, what are you talking about? When you kiss somebody, what do you think you're doing with your tongue? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> oh, you don't do that. Okay, well, whatever. But it, some people do. So in that, it's not that disgusting. That's how you long distance make out. You know what I'm saying? Okay, sorry. It's getting way too out of control. This is out of control. But the point was, you do crazy things. You do crazy things. I would wear a sweatshirt, make sure I have good deodorant on. I'd wear a sweatshirt for a day. And I would try not to sweat, but just enough. Just enough. Package it up. Send it to her. She'd get it in the mail. She'd like, oh. And then she would wear it. Then she'd take a Polaroid picture, send it of her wearing it. She'd take the picture, put it in the envelope, and send it back. This could be a three-week series of moments right here. We did some other things that I can't say right now, of things we sent. But, and you're like, it got worse? A little bit. So in that, a, a little bit, a little bit. So, but you do crazy things. One time, my wife, she worked at a small little restaurant here in Chilliwack, and she, with all of her tips, she saved them up so she could take a train to see me. It took her four days so she could spend four days with me so that she could go four days back. And she spent eight days spending four days with me. It would have been horrible if we didn't get married. I mean, that's, that's a lot of... But, but we were pursuing we did crazy things when you're pursuing somebody. And then you get married and your wife's like, can you come upstairs? Are you serious? You want me to walk upstairs to help you? You are ready to walk across the country for me. Now you can't walk up the stairs? I'm watching hockey right now. They might score. And if I don't see that puck go in the net and I don't cheer, the whole world's going to shut down. I'm exaggerating, but some of you are like, oh, that's kind of true, to be honest with me. I mean, that's okay, I have it recorded, honey. Pause. <laughs> okay, but my point is, is you do a lot of stuff. But what happens when you stop pursuing, you lose passion. Listen to me. If you pursue God and fix your eyes on Him, your passion will come back to you. Let me do a, a little marriage seminar in the moment here. If you begin to pursue your spouse, I mean pursue them. I mean woo them. I mean pursue them. You'd be surprised what God begins to do to bring passion back in to your marriage. Now in this, I want you to know that when your passion for God is high, your compassion for people will be high. When your, when your passion for God is low, your compassion for people will be low. So it's the litmus test. If you say, I have no compassion for people, it might be because you've lost your passion for God. Amen? When we look at these things, I want you to know we have to come to the point where we say, Jesus, can you put me back together? Can you begin to put me back together? Are we willing to say, God, please forgive me? God, please forgive me. God, I repent of the things that I've allowed to take my passion from you. Holy Spirit, even now, help me. I want to pursue 
Jesus. Today, I want you to know that we all have blind spots. You may not be physically blind, but you can still have blind spots. There might be areas in your life that you don't see that you're blind to. There might be things in your marriage you don't see that you're blind to. There might be something in your relationship with others that you're blind to. And you're looking at them and, you, and, and, and couples were, were, were famous for playing the blame game. Um, well, if you, went, if you just do this, I would do this. If you would do that, I would do that. And we play the blame game. That game started with Adam and Eve. When Adam said, it's not me, it's this woman you gave me. I don't know if you made her for me, like... You messed up, God. It's not my fault. It's her. And then she said, well, it was the serpent. And we, we, we play the blame game. And so what we need to do is say, what am I responsible for? And what am I not responsible for? It's difficult. If you're here and you, you're in a situation where you feel like your, your marriage is broken right now. Or you feel like you have strange, a strange relationship with parents maybe or with a friend. I get it. It's difficult. I had to forgive my stepfather over and over and over. And he still continued to hurt and to hurt and to be verbally abusive to me, even when I was not even in his life anymore. I know it is with my biological father. I know what that's like. I remember one time um, going down to Portland, I'm going down to Roseburg, Oregon, to try to find my, my biological father because he lived on the streets. And when I found him, he was living in a men's shelter. I tried to reach out to him. I drove all the way from Chilliwack all the way down to Roseburg, Oregon. It's, it's about eight or nine hours. And there's my biological, my father, living on the street, looking for his next fix. Been married five times, but has no family around him. I tried to reach out to him. He didn't want it. It's hard. I'm like, I'm trying, to, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to fix what's broken here. I'm trying to be a good son to a, a bad father. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm, tr I'm trying to reach out to you. And he just told me to go home. I turned around, went all the way home. And then uh, a few months later, I mean, this happened many times. That's not just one time. But that, that happened many times over a period of years. And then one day I get a phone call from the hospice in Roseburg, Oregon, because he was in Vietnam, and so he was in the Veterans Hospital, and they, they had my number for next to kin, and they called me, and they said, we, we actually found your biological, your father, outside of a men's shelter last night, and it was a DOA, a dead on arrival, and we actually put him in a bag, and they were actually getting ready to take him to uh, the morgue. They thought he was dead. He was nothing left of him. He's just a frail of a man, and as they were picking him up, he grunted, and they're like, oh, maybe he's still alive. They opened up the bag and he still was just faintly alive. So they took him into the hospital and then they put him into the hospice and said it's just a matter of a few hours before he dies. But we'll try to help him. They said if you want to say goodbye to your father you probably should get down here. We probably should plan a funeral as well while you're here. So I drove all the way down there again like I'd done before. And I go into his room and I said hey I'm here. He said who called you? I don't want you here. I punched him in the head. No, I'm just kidding. That would be wrong. That's what I felt like doing. That's what I felt like doing. I'm like, you ungrateful. You've never sent me a birthday card. You've never been at any of my events. And now you're going to say that to me? Let's just be honest. That's how you feel. So I said, and he said to me, I don't want a sermon or a prayer. 
So I said, well, what do you want? He said, I want a pack of cigarettes and a chocolate malt and a cheeseburger from McDonald's. That's your dying wish? Yes. Okay. See what I can do. I went out to a gas station, bought my first pack of cigarettes. <laughs> As a pastor, that's probably not unusual up here, but it's unusual where I live. Oh, just kidding. Did I say that loud? Okay. So <laughs> bought a pack of cigarettes, and I bought, uh, I went to the McDonald's, I got a chocolate malt, and I went and got a cheeseburger, and I came into his room, and I said, there you go. He said, you went and bought a pack of cigarettes for me and a chocolate shake and a cheeseburger? I said, oh, if that's what you want, and that's what your dying wish is, there you go. He goes, I can't believe you would go do that. I said, well, that's what you wanted. And then I said to him, let me share. I said, what do you think is going to happen when you pass away? He said, I'm going to Valhalla. I'm a Viking. He didn't quite say it with that enthusiasm. I got to go to Valhalla. <laughs> I'm a Viking. I said, that's, that's a fairy tale. Not to me. I'm a Viking. I said, okay. And I began to share the gospel with him again in love. And I told him that Jesus loved him. And I shared just a short little message of just hope with him. And he said, okay, is the sermon over? Do we need to take up an offering? And I was like, no, I'm not trying to preach at you. Oh, it sounds like you're preaching to me. And I said, okay, well, can I pray for you? And he goes, no. I said, well, I'm going to pray anyway. What are you going to do, leave? So I started <laughs> praying for him. Like, what are you going to get up and walk? That would be awesome. <laughs> Jesus heal him. There, look, Jesus just healed you. Get up and walk, you know. I, I reached out and I laid hands on him and I prayed for him. And he said, okay, I think you're done. You can go home now. And I said, will you just do one thing and just ask God to reveal his love to you? He said, I don't even believe in God. I said, well, it doesn't make him less real. He does love you. He does love you. I highly doubt that. The life that I have, I doubt that he, if, he is, if he does exist, that he loves me. Listen to me. I said, all you have to do is say, God, reveal your love to me. And he said, I'll think about it. And I got in my vehicle and I drove nine hours back. A couple weeks later, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was in this crowded room. And, and at the time, I had an assistant. And my assistant came and grabbed me by the elbow and said, hey, your dad wants to talk to you. And in my dream, I was thinking my stepfather. So I'm looking for my stepfather, and all of a sudden, I'm standing in front of my biological father, and he's in a walker, and he looked at me, and he said, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm so proud of you, but thank you that I know where I'm going now. And then my assistant grabbed me by the elbow and pulled me off to the side. And then I woke up. So I called that morning, I called the hospice, and I said, hey, can I talk to Dean Swenson? They said, well, he's not doing well, but we'll try to patch it to his room. I get to the room. They patch me to the room, and I said, hey, Dad, how are you doing? He said, I'm dying. How the hell do you think I'm doing? I was like, okay, well, all right, all right. I said, I didn't want to offend you, but he just said, well, I'm dying. How do you think I'm feeling? I said, well, I had a dream last night. And in my, isn't it funny, we hold, I still hold the phone like this. <laughs> People with a cell phone, they hold like this or they hold like this, but I'm like, I still got the old phone. <laughs> I, I said, I had a dream last night. And in my dream, I told him the dream. And this is what he said to me. That's funny. Because when you left the last time, 
I began to talk to the big guy out the stairs. And we're in conversation right now. And I've asked him to reveal his love to me. So we're in conversation, just, just so you know. I said, that's great. Keep that conversation going. And about 40 hour, 48 hours later, he passed away. I say that because it's never too late for God to come and work in your life. You don't have to wait till you're on your deathbed. But God can begin to put together the pieces if you entrust him with the pieces. Amen? I want you to see that today God wants to bring healing. I want you to know the number one thing that we have to deal with is our perception of what our reality is. Perception to the perceiver is reality even if it's deception. Perception to the perceiver is reality even if it's deception. In other words, how you see things right now, that is your reality, but it may not be the truth. Amen? So we need Jesus to open our eyes so that we can see the truth. Amen? And in that, I want you to see this. Um, I'm, I think I'm coming out of time here. Ain't I? Am I okay? It's okay? All the people that are... Father's Day, it's Father's Day. Can you give us a break? Do you have to speak so long? Come on, wrap it up. We'll be here next Sunday, all right? Okay, so, all right. Romans chapter four, verse three says, for the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. I want you to see that in order for this to begin to take place, we have to simply say, God, I need you to open my eyes and I believe in you. I choose to pursue you. You don't have to have all your life together. It may be scattered. Your heart might be broken. Your life might be broken. But if you just simply say, God, I'm going to, I don't know what to do or how to do, but I choose to pursue you. I choose to believe you. And I'm going to, per, I'm going to follow after you. And I'm not going to let anything get in the way. John 6, 28 and 29 says, then they replied, we we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent you. In other words, it's like, God, what do I got to do to fix this? God, what do I got to do to fix this? God, what do I have to do to fix this? The first step is, God, I, I, my only work is I choose you, Jesus. I call out on your name, Jesus. That doesn't mean the other person's going to respond correctly, but it will begin to heal your heart. It will begin to heal your life. And there are times that maybe it's not going to come perfectly together, but you're going to have to trust that God can heal you and restore you. Amen? I could not fix my biological father. I could not fix my stepfather, but I could fix myself so that I could be a light unto them. But if darkness is dwelling in me, if anger is dwelling in me, if fear is dwelling in me, I have nothing to offer them. I have to come to a point where I'm a fragile clay pot, maybe broken in pieces, but I have to believe that God can restore me to what I was before. That I can, even though still being fragile, he can restore me so that he can fill me so that wherever I go, I can bring his hope. I can bring his love. I can bring what other people need. Amen? But if it's not in me, I can't give it. Whatever is in you, whatever is in you, you're going to give it to somebody. Let me put it this way. 
Whatever you experience in here, you'll express it out there. When you experience the love of God, you will express the love of God. When you experience pain and rejection, if you don't deal with it, if you don't bring it to the cross, if you don't bring it to Jesus, you will express that to other people. Because what's in you, you express. And there are times that the enemy wants to put in things in your life. And you have to say, Jesus, take out those things. Heal me inside. But let me be a fragile clay pot full of you, Jesus. Full of your love. Full of hope. Full of peace. Amen? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, my last verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Amen? Sometimes all we see is the broken pieces, and if we fix our eyes on the broken pieces, that's all we're going to see is the broken pieces. But even as the broken pieces, we have to come to the point where we say, God, I'm not going to keep focused on all the broken pieces that they're scattered all over the place, and they keep broken. I'm going to say, God, I'm going to fix my eyes on you, Jesus. I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm not going to look at the troubles anymore. I'm going to fix my eyes on you, Jesus. I'm going to pursue you, Jesus. And I believe, Jesus, I believe in you Jesus that you're able to restore and heal me amen we all have troubles we all have we're all going to deal with the brokenness of this world because we live in a broken world but that doesn't mean I have to be broken in this broken world amen things are getting broken up in this place I don't know what's happening but so here's my challenge to us today I'm going to ask the worship team to come out and up here and or do you guys do that or yeah let's go guys job's not done okay so my challenge to us number one to ask the Lord to open our eyes so we can see sometimes we're so fixed on this that we're blind to all the things that God does want to do in us so our first challenge is God open my eyes so I can see you in the midst of my troubles amen Jesus, open my eyes. I'm blind to a lot of things. Maybe I lack self-awareness, but we have blind spots. But God, today I choose to come to you, and I'm asking you to open my eyes. And number two, that I'm going to stand on the promises and declare them in prayer. I'm going to stand on the promises of, of reconciliation. I'm going to stand on the promise of restoration in me. Amen? I'm going to stand on those promises and I'm going to believe in you, Jesus. And I'm going to, I choose to pursue you even in the midst of my brokenness. And number three, I'm coming to a place where I'm going to grab a hold of you like the woman with the issue of blood grabbed a hold of the hem of your garment and I'm not going to let go until you bring healing to me. There was a woman with the issue of blood for 12 years. She went to all these doctors, spent her life savings until she had nothing left, until she saw Jesus. And she moved through the crowd and she began to pursue Jesus. She was pushing through the crowd until she finally just said, if I can grab the, a hold of the hem of his garment. And she grabbed a hold of the hem of his garment and all of a sudden 
she was healed. Now there was people all around Jesus at that time. They're bumping into him. They're pushing him. But Jesus said, who touched me? And his disciples said, everybody's touching you. No, somebody grabbed a hold of the hem of my garment. And when they grabbed a hold of me, healing virtue came out of me. Somebody was healed. Somebody was touched today. Somebody was being restored today. And at that moment, the woman with the issue of blood stood up and said, it was me. I grabbed a hold of the hem of your garment because I believed if I could pursue you and press to the crowd, if I could grab a hold of you, Jesus, I will be healed and restored. And he said, and it is as you believe. Amen. There are times right now the troubles and all the pain and the rejection and the fear, those are the people, those are the things in the way of you pursuing to Jesus. Sometimes you have to press through the troubles and the pain and the rejection to grab a hold of Jesus and say, I'm not going to let go. I'm going to grab a hold of you because I choose to be restored so that I can carry you in my fragile clay pot. Amen. Let's close our eyes. Let's make an altar right where you're at, right here, right now. Even right now, just simply say, Jesus, open my eyes that I may see you. I choose to pursue you today, Jesus. I come with broken pieces, broken pieces of my heart, broken pieces of my life, broken pieces of relationships, maybe your marriage, maybe some things that have happened. I come with those broken pieces. I know this is hard, but if you receive that healing touch from Jesus because you pursue him and you fix your eyes on Jesus, you may have to be a good son to a bad father. You may have to be a good spouse to a bad spouse. You may have to be a good friend to a bad friend. Now there's boundaries in all of this. Don't misunderstand me. You don't put yourself in a situation where it's abusive verbally or emotionally. I had to do those boundaries with my own stepfather and biological father. You set boundaries, but I still want to make sure that I'm restored and healed on the inside. I wanted to learn to be a good son to a bad father so that I would become a good father to my son and daughter. That I would pass down the love of God, the forgiveness, the hope, the healing. I didn't want to pass down the pain, the hurt, and the rejection anymore. I wanted to pass down love, hope, truth to my son and daughter. And though I may not have a good earthly father, I have a good, good heavenly father. And he has been faithful to restore my broken, fragile clay and to pour himself into it. So I have something to offer those who come.
come in my path and even to my own family. For you today, receive that hope. Fix your eyes on Jesus today. So here you are. Is Jesus able to work in your life today? Is Jesus able to heal? Is Jesus able to open your eyes? Is Jesus able? Jesus is asking you today, do you believe that I am able? Come on. Do you believe that I am able? And when we simply respond, yes, I believe, then it shall be done unto you, for your faith has made you whole. Lord, we receive that by faith today. Come on, receive that today by faith. Don't look at the broken pieces around you. Put your eyes and fix them on Jesus right now. You see, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, he fixes you. Come on. When you fix your eyes on Jesus, he can begin to fix you. Receive that by faith. Can we stand today? Thank you. We've gone a little bit over here. It's Father's Day. But here's what I want to do. We're going to uh, have, do you have a song that's fitting to what I... <laughs> Thank you. It's always a little bit crazy when you have a song. But I, I want us to do this. If we can play that song, I'm going to open up the altar. And some of you, maybe in... Maybe, maybe you won't see this, but there might be some of you that want to come with some bro broken pieces of your heart or your life. And just come and take the broken pieces and lay them at the altar and say, God, here's... This is it. This is my heart right now. This is my life. This is some things in my life. I'm going to come and lay them at the altar. I'm going to ask you to begin to heal and restore me so that I can begin to be whole and healed. 